Hello there. My name is Father John Arison. I am Rector Superior of St. John Newman Residence at Stella Maris in Timonium, Maryland. Today's Gospel is taken from St. John's chapter 12, verses 24 to 26. Hardly any passage in the New Testament would come with such a shock to those who heard it for the first time. It begins with a saying which everyone would expect, and it finishes with a series of sayings which were the last thing anyone would expect. The hour has come, began Jesus, when the Son of Man should be glorified. It was clear that things had been building up to a crisis, and that crisis had now come. But Jesus' idea of what that crisis involved was quite different from anyone else's. When he talked about the Son of Man, he did not mean other people. what other people meant. To understand the shocking nature of this short paragraph, we must grasp something of what the Jews understood by Son of Man. That term took its origin in Deuteronomy. In that passage, the King James Version mistranslates. It has it that one is like unto the Son of Man, came to the Ancient of Days, and received the kingdom, a glory and a dominion that were to be universal and forever. The correct translation is not the Son of Man, but a Son of Man, as the Revised Standard Version has it. The point of the passage is this. In Deuteronomy, the writer has been describing the world powers which have held sway, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medes, and the Persians. They were so cruel, so savage, so sadistic, that they could be described only under the imagery of wild beasts, a lion with eagle's wings, the bear with three, of, three ribs between its teeth, the le leopard with four wings and four heads, and the terrible beast with the iron teeth and the ten horns. These were the symbols of the powers which had hitherto held sway. But it was the dream of the seer that into the world there were, was going to come a new power, and that power would be gentle and humane and gracious, so that it could be depicted under the symbol not of a savage beast, but of a man. This passage means that the day of savagery would pass, and the day of humanity was coming. That was the dream of the Jews, the golden age, when life would be sweet and they would be masters of the world. But how was this age to come? It became clearer and clearer to them that their nation was so small and their power so weak that the golden age could never come by human means and human power. It must come from the direct intervention of God. He would send his champion to bring it in. So they thought back to the picture in the book of Daniel and what more, what more natural than they should call the champion the Son of Man? The phrase which had once been merely a symbol came to describe a person. Between the Old and New Testament, there arose 
uh, a whole series of books about the Golden Age and how it was to come. Amid their troubles and their sufferings, in their subjections and their slaveries, the Jews never forgot and never gave up their dream. One of these books was specifically influential, the Book of Enoch, and it repeatedly speaks of the, about that Son of Man. In Enoch, the Son of Man is a tremendous figure who, as it were, is being held in leash by God. But the day will come when God will release him, and he will come with divine power against which no man, no kingdom, will be able to stand, and smash the way to world empire for the Jews. To the Jews, the Son of Man stood for the undefeatable world conqueror sent by God. So Jesus says, the hour has come when the Son of Man must be glorified. When he said that, the listeners would catch their breath. They would believe that the trumpet call of eternity had sounded and that the might of heaven was on the march and that the campaign of victory was on the move. But Jesus did not mean by glorified what they understood. They meant that the subjected kingdoms of the earth would grovel before the conqueror's feet. By glorified, he meant crucified. When the Son of Man was mentioned, they thought of the conquest of the armies of God. He meant the conquest of the cross. The first sentence which Jesus spoke would excite the hearts of those who heard it. Then began a succession of sayings which must have left them staggered and bewildered by their sheer incredibility. For they spoke not in terms of conquest, but in terms of sacrifice and death. We will never understand Jesus, nor the attitude of the Jews to him until we understand how he turned their ideas upside down, replacing a dream of conquest with a vision of a cross. No wonder that they did not understand him. The tragedy is they refused, refused to try. What was this amazing paradox which Jesus was teaching? He was saying these things which are all variations of one central truth and all at the heart of the Christian faith and life. He was saying that only by death comes life. The grain of wheat was ineffective and unfruitful so long as it was preserved, as it were, in safety and security. It was when it was thrown into the cold ground and buried there as if in a tomb that it bore fruit. It was by the death of the martyrs that the church grew. In the famous phrase, the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. It was always because men have been prepared to die that the great things have lived. It becomes more personal than that. It is sometimes only when a man buries his personal aims and ambitions that he begins to be of real use to God. Cosmo Lang became Archbishop of Canterbury. At one time he had great worldly ambitions. A godly friend influenced him and led him to abandon these and enter the Church of England. When he was studying for the ministry, one day as he was praying in the chapel he 
heard unmistakably a voice saying to him, You are wanted. It was when he had buried his personal ambitions that he became useful to God. By death comes life. By loyalty, which is true to death, there have been preserved and born most precious things which humanity possesses. By the death of personal desire and personal ambition, a man becomes servant of God. He was saying that only by spending life do we return it, retain it. The man who loves his life is moved by two aims, by selfishness and by the desire for security. Not once or twice, but many times Jesus insisted that a man who hoarded his life must in the end lose it, and the man who spent his life must in the end gain it. There was the famous evangelist called Christmas Evans, who always uh, was on the move preaching for Christ. His friends besought him to make things easier, but his answer was always, It is better to burn out than to rust out. When Joan of Arc knew that her enemies were strong and her time was short, she prayed to God, I shall only last a year. Use me as you can. Again and again, Jesus laid down this law. We have only to think that what this world would have lost if there had not been men prepared to forget their personal safety, security, selfish gain, and selfish advancement. The world owes everything to people who recklessly spent their strength and gave themselves to God and others. No doubt we will exist longer if we may take things easily, if we avoid all strain, if we sit by at the fire and husband life, if we look after ourselves as a hypochondriac looks as after his health, no doubt we will exist longer, but we will never live. Jesus was saying that only by service comes greatness. The people whom the world remembers with love are the people who serve others. Once a schoolboy was asked what parts of speech my and mine are. He answered truly, more truly than he knew that they were aggressive pronouns. It is all true that in the modern world the idea of service is in danger of getting lost. So many people are in business only for what they can get out of it. They may well become rich, but one thing is certain, they will never be loved. And love is the true wealth of life. Jesus came to the Jews with a new view of life. He looked on, in glory, he looked on glory as conquest, an acquisition of power, the right to rule. He looked on it as a cross. He taught men that only by death comes life, that only by spending life do we retain it, that only by service comes greatness. And the extraordinary thing is that when we come to think of it, Christ's paradox is nothing other than the truth of common sense. That's our thought for today. May God bless you and have a great day.